So hear uh, the word of God. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord. And having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a god and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breaded his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord of heavens, great God, powerful, eternal, whom we have the privilege to call Father. Blessed be your name and blessed be your word among us now. O Lord, we ask that you send your spirit amongst us that the Spirit will make us able to understand, to cherish, to love, and to obey your word. O Lord, we know that your word is from your mouth and it's profitable. So we ask that make this part of your word profitable in our lives. We have a great Savior upon whom we look now, in whose name we ask you to hear us and answer our prayer. In Christ's name, we come before you. In his name we pray. Amen. Pride. It sounds such a harmless word. You might be proud of your children, of your grandchildren. You might be proud of your achievements at your workplace, or even proud of the progress of your favorite sport team. In these cases, we might use the word pride and proud to describe the joy over what we have or whom we belong to. But in the Bible, pride is not a harmless word. The scripture speaks almost negatively uh, about pride. Pride is not just a positive emotion, but pride is when your joy becomes self-centered. When you com compare yourself to others, when you look upon others, when you feel superior to others. That's why in the Hebrew language, pride is often described with words of height. To be proud means to think ourselves as being above others, better than others. 
And more importantly, the problem with pride is that pride robs God of his due. Because pride is self-centered. Pride is man-centered and not God-centered. The dual problem of pride is that we think more of ourselves and less of God than we should. And this text is about the problem of pride. About the price of pride Herod paid for his sin. And this text shows us four things. First, it portrays us the progress of pride. It shows how pride developed, advanced, progressed in Herod's heart. Then it shows us, presents us, the problem of pride. How God deals with pride. But thankfully, our text doesn't stop here. It speaks about more. It also tells us about the biblical preference to pride. And thus, finally, teaches us how to protest against pride. So we'll see the progress of pride, the problem of pride, the protest to pride, and, uh, and the preference to pride. So uh, let's get into our text. And uh, as we see in the first words, this brief section tells the story of Herod. And it makes a good Bible trivia to know that there are four Herods in the Bible. You might know the first Herod, Herod the Great, who killed the infants when Jesus was born. Then you also know the second Herod, who killed John the Baptist, who was alive during Jesus' ministry and life. Then the Herod we have here in Acts 12 is Herod Agrippa I. He is the third Herod in the Bible. And we know this Herod that he killed James, Apostle James, the brother of John, as you can see in the beginning of chapter 12. And there is a fourth Herod in the Bible later in Acts, Herod Agrippa II, uh, with whom Paul spoke and Paul witnessed to him. And interestingly, there is no one, the Bible says, who was killed by that Herod. So he is an outlier. But the first three Herods, like this Herod, were really uh, killers. Another interesting fact <coughs> about this Herod, Herod Agrippa I, is that he was brought up with two Roman emperors. He enjoyed the favor of court, the favor of Rome, and so he was made king over the province of Judea. But we also see that this Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. He had an issue with these two cities. And this issue, this problem, really shows us how pride progressed in the heart of Herod. We do not know the exact reason. We do not know what caused the conflict between Herod and Tyre, but the situation was severe. My translation says only that Herod was angry. But in the original, it says that Herod fought with anger. It's a very harsh word. 
it means that the conflict, the situation, the problem was severe. The anger of the king was harsh. And that's our first stop. And we can contemplate on that. Because that's how pride often presents itself. In strife and anger. Because if your heart delights in yourself, because if your heart is centered around your wants, around your dignity, around your benefit, then shortly it will lead to a conflict with others. And the proud spirit will not seek solution, will not seek reconciliation. Have you noticed that in Proverbs, Proverbs always connects the end of strife with a gentle spirit? For example, if you read Proverbs 15.1, it says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And Herod was not of a gentle spirit. And as we read, his anger, his pride, advanced, progressed to a state of non-communication. Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him. But then we read that having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace. So we have this setting that the king didn't want to speak with the leaders of Tyre and Sidon. They needed to persuade Blastus to speak uh, for them uh, before the king. The situation was dire, severe, because Tyre and Sidon, as we read in verse 20, depended on the king's country for food. You see, that was the problem of Tyre and Sidon. But this text also reveals an even more, an even bigger problem in the king's heart. Herod's pride was not diminished, but Herod's pride increased. Why? Because in his great pride, he refused to talk with the leaders of Tyre and Sidon. And if you know your heart, you may know what it is like. Perhaps as a husband, or a wife, or a parent, or a child, you used this tactic, this strategy in the past. You were not willing to hear the other party, even less examine yourself and admit your fault. So you continued in your hardness of heart to the point that you stopped talking to your loved ones. You were harmed and you were not willing to give away your anger. That's what we see what's happening in Herod's heart. That was the progress of his pride. The humble spirit and the gentle mouth seeks unity and reconciliation, but the proud heart and the harsh mouth delights in punishing the other. Pride brings destruction wherever it goes. But then suddenly, in verse 20, <coughs> 21, we read that something has changed. Tyre and Sidon made a first step. They approached Blastus. Blastus was like a mediator for them. And they won the king's heart, it seems. The king was ready to forgive them. The king was ready to reconcile with them. 
But you see, a simple pardon was not enough. Herod wanted a big show. He organized a festival. You know, we have a very important resource. There was a first century Jewish historian, Josephus Flavius, who also recorded this event in his book. And he, sa- and he tells us in that book that Herod organized a festival in the honor for the honor of the emperor, and he gathered all noble and wealthy families. Everybody was there in this big theater. They gathered everybody together. And this was the occasion when the king wanted to announce reconciliation and peace. And in this setting, we can also identify the ever-growing pride in the king's heart. What was that gave up with Herod his silence and anger? Only one thing, that his pride will be satisfied even more. Herod was not content to to simply announce that he forgave to Tyre and Sidon. He wanted to make a big show. He wanted to have a numerous crowd. He wanted to put on a shiny robe. He wanted to give a majestic speech. Everything served this one purpose, that his pride will be satisfied. That's how Josephus Flavius tells us what happened on the day. On the second day of the shows, Herod put on a garment made wholly of silver and of a contexture truly wonderful and came into the theater early in the morning at which time the silver of his garment being illuminated by the fresh reflection of the sun rays shone out after a surprising manner and was so brilliant as to spread a horror over those that looked upon him. And presently, his flatterers cried out, one from one place, another from another, that he was a god. And they added, O be merciful to us, for although we have until now revered you only as a man, Yet from now on, we will praise you as superior to mortal nature. You see, the progress of Herod's pride, from being in strife, to being in silence, to being praised as a god. So Herod gained what he wanted. But is that good? What's God's view on that? And so that leads us to our second point, the problem of pride. And whenever I read this section, I am always fascinated by how folly, the the folly of the human nature. C.S. Lewis said that our problem as sinners is that we are far too easily be pleased. We are far too easily pleased. Because the crowd saw the magnificent robe heard the lofty speech, and was ready to call the king a god. And you may wonder, how low view of God is that? And it truly is. Is that what God is? 
to put on a shiny robe and deliver a nice speech? Is that what godliness is about? What being God is about? Oh no. But you see, it was not only the problem of the people, but it was only and mainly the problem of Herod. Even Josephus tells us that the fault was the king's. The king neither did the king did neither rebuke them nor reject their impious flattery. And so as the, as the scripture says, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. We know from Josephus that his death was not instant. Herod was brought back to his palace and he had suffered for five more days in pains unimaginable. His glory turned to shame, his splendor to ashes. And we, we are horrified, aren't we? Awful is the severity of God's judgment. Astonishing is the speed of the judgment. And horrible is the mode of the judgment. He was eaten by worms. Maybe the judgment was too harsh? No, it wasn't. The judgment only tells us how severely God sees pride. It is a great sin because it robs God of his due. The story tells us how highly God regards his own glory, how angry he is with anybody who steals it. And you might say, okay, but I'm not Herod. And of course you are right. Neither you nor me will ever stand before a crowd when they will call us a god. But this story is not just about glory-seeking rulers. This story is for all of us who might be guilty in the same sin that lies behind Herod's downfall. Not just the extent of Herod's sin, but the nature of Herod's sin, his pride, what deserved God's judgment. What was Herod's sin then? The Bible tells us very clearly the angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And as I said earlier, Herod's problem was twofold. He sought his own glory. He was content with himself. He looked for the praise of the man. But doing that, he also made another mistake, another sin. He robbed God. And didn't exalt him who is greater than all. So you are guilty of pride whenever you put yourself in the center and do not give God the thanks and the praise. The problem is not that people will say nice things about you. The problem is not that you know that you, will, you did some excellent work. The problem is when you forget that every good and perfect gift is from above when you forget that you are but a creature, when you forget that you need to go down before God, when you are not ready to submit yourself to his will and obey his laws. This text reminds us that God is above all. Glory is his, and we are only servants of his glory, so we cannot have glory for ourselves. So, 
you see, we have seen the progress of pride, the problem of pride, and how it caused the death of Herod. But if you look at your text more carefully, you will see that there is another power at work in this chapter. We see the demise of Herod, but that's now how this chapter ends. Look at verse 24. But the word of God increased and multiplied. While we see how death was working in Herod's life, we see that life was working in the church. There is another power in this text. And so we need to ask, what is the alternative to pride? And I need to tell you that this story is not a tale of one king, but a tale of two kings. One might not be in the forefront, but he is there. And I want you to see the two kings by putting them side by side. Here I see a king crowned with gold. There another crowned with thorns. Here I see a king in majestic robe. There I see a king stripped of his clothes. Here I see a king cheered by the crowd. There I see a king hated aloud. Here I hear saying the voice of a God, not of a man. There, crucify him. Away with that man. Here I see a man seeking his own glory. There, more than a man, wailing his eternal glory. Here I see a man living for his own gain. There, a lamb suffering for me in pain. Here I see a king dying in shame. There, a servant rising in fame. Here I see Herod a passing earthly king. There I see Jesus, my eternal heavenly king. You see, in this text, we see an alternative to King Herod's pride. And this is the humility of our Lord Jesus Christ. Herod portrays the tragedy of the fallen man who seeks his own glory, who wants to worship himself and not God. But we have Jesus who portrays the beauty of God's mercy, that he, the heavenly king, laid down his life, gave his life up for us, proud people. The cost of our pride was laid upon him, and he paid it fully, and he reamed us from our self-seeking life. The alternative of pride is the humility we see in the bosom of Christ, we see in the beautiful person of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so you must choose. There are two paths to take. You can either take Herod's path and live a life of self-centeredness and you will reap death and judgment, or you will follow Jesus and his cross and live a life that glorifies him and our great God. So the final question is, how can we then protest against pride? How can we live a life that's not marred by this heinous sin, but that shows the beauty of our Lord's humility? I would like to give you kind of three categories. Because Jesus' life 
teaches us how to think, how to speak, and how to act. So, <clears throat> as for our thoughts and meditations, you remember how Calvin begins his institutes that nearly all wisdom we possess consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. So if we want to think rightly about ourselves, first we need to think rightly about God. And this text calls us to live a life that is captivated by the beauty of God's glory. In this text you might see Herod's glory, but then instantly, suddenly, just an angel struck him and he was dead. And then you need to think, if that was Herod's glory, what can be God's glory? How mightier, how more beautiful he is than a passing earthly king. And how can you see his glory? How can you see uh, God's beauty? Of course, you will find it in your scriptures. And that could be a practical application. That whenever you open your scriptures every morning and you read, always look, for, uh, look how it teaches you about God's glory. Remember, the Bible is not like a ten-step book, how to live a nice life. But the Bible is God's book. It speaks about his glory. Every page and every verse, in one way or another, speaks about his majesty, his beauty, his truth, his eternal reality. And you need to look for it. You need to meditate upon it. You need to read good books. You need even sometimes to study theology to to understand and be familiar with this great God of the Bible and so that you can live a life that is not captivated by, by the shallow things of man but by the great things of God. And moreover, live a life that is captivated by the beauty of Christ's humility. This is also a beautiful thing to behold. Oh, our Lord, oh, the Lamb of God, Oh, the Lion of Judah, who gave up his life for you and me. Oh, look for this Christ in your Bible. Look not, not, look not just for solutions for your last problems, but see and wonder and stand in awe when you see Christ in the scriptures. We may move on, because this text calls us to speak differently. We also <coughs> noted how pride uh, stirs up anger and how pride will pronounce harsh words. So if you wa want to walk humbly before your God, your words must be different. But how should you speak? And you know, what I found is that the best training ground for how we shall speak is in our prayers. Because there we can practice God-glorifying words. We can practice thanksgiving. And that's what I uh, want to put on your heart 
that give glory to God in your prayers. Whenever you pray, practice God-glorying prayers. Begin with praise. Continue with praise. End with praise. And do not forget thanksgiving. Be abundant in thanksgiving. Because there is nothing good in our life that is not touched by the grace of God. There is nothing good we can do, we can think, we can say, we can, uh, we can have what we have not received from God. So there is always an ample reason for thanksgiving, even in your darkest days and your darkest hours. Be abundant in thanksgiving. And finally, this text also calls us to act differently. And what we see in the pride of Herod, we see the antithesis in, in, in Christ's life and also in the life of Paul and Barnabas as they were faithfully serving the church, as they were faithfully fulfilling the call that God gave to them. And that's our call as well. Be a part of Christ's church and be an active part in God's church. Find your place in this church or another and do your ministry faithfully, what God called you for. Be a humble, serving follower of Christ. So there are two ways to live. You can either look for your name and glory but you can either live for Christ's name and his glory. And it is my prayer for you, dear saints, that you will live humbly for Christ's glory. So when that last day comes, you will hear this voice. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, great God. I'm so grateful that you show your true self to us, that we can see you as the glorious Lord, the Lord of hosts, who you, who you are, our creator, you are our sustainer, our provider, our savior. We magnify your name. We praise you, and we thank you that you showed our place in life, that you showed the folly of Herod's sin. And so we ask, oh, help us to live differently. Oh, help us to see the beauty that lies in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, make us our hearts be warm, hot, zealous to follow him wherever he leads us. Make us willing to take upon the cross every day, joyfully serving you, humbly serving you. Oh, help us remember that we are but creatures, but what a joy it is to belong to you. What a joy it is to be your children, to be called by your name, that we can be heirs of eternal glory. 
Oh Lord, we praise you and help us and help his church to be light in this dark world, to lift up your name high and proclaim your excellencies, your love and grace and truth in this fallen world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.